Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, June 7th. Special rapporteur David Johnson testified yesterday before a House of Commons committee on his investigation into Chinese interference in the Canadian political system. We get details on the testimony from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. The Bank of Canada has announced an interest rate hike of one quarter of a percent, bringing the key lending rate to 4.75 percent. We speak with Angelo Molino, professor of economics from the University of Toronto, for his thoughts on the increase and the impact it will have on the average Canadian. And finally, if you can't beat them, join them. We take a look at the announcement earlier this week that shocked the sports world, the merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. We catch up with Kevin Smith, director of communications for Alberta Golf, to get his thoughts on this surprising new partnership. Yesterday, special rapporteur David Johnson testified before a House of Commons committee defending his decision not to hold a public inquiry into foreign interference. Joining us to discuss yesterday's testimony is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Hello, good morning. Let's get right to it. MPs grilling special rapporteur David Johnson over his connections to the Trudeau family. What did we learn today about that relationship and perhaps how deep it is? Well, he basically said that his children and the Trudeau children went skiing many, many years ago, maybe about five times. He said they don't hang out together. They don't have dinner at each other's houses. Um, This is not a close family friend, and and that uh, that was not an issue. He understood the concerns about people's perceptions, but he tried to reassure people, saying, look, we, we don't, you know, go on vacation. We don't spend time together. This was a long time ago. It was a few skiing uh, days, and, and that was basically it. He also faced questions about his association with the Trudeau Foundation, uh, which he said that he had joined because he has a lot of concern about there being enough funding for graduate students in Canada, and this is a big provider of scholarships. Um, and there was another interesting sort of question that came up that, that the MPs really didn't tackle, but it got my attention, and that had to do with MP Handong. Um, and he said that, uh, that despite Despite sort of all of the information that has been swirling in the public sphere and questions about Handong, who stepped aside from caucus, he says, to defend his reputation against what he called false allegations, um, he said that he did not ever interview Handong. And when he was asked why not, he kind of said, well, because he, you know, was in the middle of launching a lawsuit, a lawsuit which is against Global News, um, but he, he never actually interviewed him. Um, and, and that stood out to me because he talked about the allegations against him. Uh, so I found that very interesting. He also said there's a lot of information that he hadn't seen. Uh, for example, he talked about there not being any evidence that some of the disinformation was state-sponsored by a particular state. Aaron O'Toole, the former leader of the Conservative Party, has since come out and said that um, CSIS briefed him and told him that the disinformation against him was from China. He said that that happened after he spoke to Mr. O'Toole. That raised questions about how much access he had to information. He said it was essentially unlimited, but he also described it as being like trying to take on an ocean of information in a very short period of time. They didn't have time to go through all of it, so he described what he had as a very large lake and said that this is 
not a final report. It's designed to be part of an ongoing process. That's why he's going to have public hearings, uh, including with the Chinese-Canadian diaspora community um, and other groups and organizations. So he sort of characterized this as being part of an ongoing process versus a finish point, which which is true. He has many more reports to file. Um, but that was sort of some of the back and forth yesterday. But the, the really big stuff was uh, David Johnston defending his ability to carry out these duties and, and find the right information for Canadians and saying, look, I'm not the problem, foreign interference is the problem, and MPs saying, well, there is a perception, uh, and that's how Jagmeet Singh characterizes it, a perception of conflict that they're concerned about, uh, what that means for the legitimacy of how people see his reporting versus the reality. Do we know anything about the makeup of these uh, potential public hearings coming down? Would, would this be a case that Han Dong would have an opportunity to represent and explain further in detail, you know, what he went through, as well as Aaron O'Toole, it seems like he missed the bus on this one. And I was reading, I think about a week ago, that he thought he'd have time to submit some more information, and that was not the case. Will these two gentlemen, Han Dong and Aaron O'Toole, have an opportunity during the public hearings, or do do we know anything about that? We really don't know um, what those hearings are going to look like. Um, We don't have a sense other than we know that um, he, he said he's reaching out to the diaspora community, but beyond that, um, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, we we don't often see public hearings in Canada that are being run uh, not by Parliament, that is not parliamentary hearings. So I, I'm not entirely sure what this will look like. I think it's still a process that, that they're informing. Um, obviously, there's, there's still limitations on those public hearings the same way there would be with a public inquiry. There's potential legal uh, implications if somebody is in the middle of a lawsuit. There's uh, potential national security implications if you're talking about classified information in the case of Aaron O'Toole. So I think there's still a lot of sorting out that, that has to be done around this um, and, and how how there can be more transparency uh, for the public. And I think that that's still very much kind of an ongoing discussion. Do we know anything about the time frame ahead of, of what could be coming next, Mercedes? Has that been laid out yet? Not that I'm aware of, no. I, I think that this is, um, there's a sense of urgency for sure. Um, you heard David Johnson say yesterday that Canadian security agencies are, are essentially struggling to deal with this. That He said this in his report as well, that intelligence sharing with the government is done in a way that's very disorganized and makes it difficult to track things. So different ministers get different briefings from the prime minister and then they all meet and discuss it, but without the original CSIS sources who briefed them. Um, and, and he talked about the fact that it's gotten much more aggressive yesterday and essentially that Canada is really quite unprepared um, to deal with the level of aggression of this foreign interference and the level of sophistication. So it seems to me that he believes there's um, a significant urgency here for him. But in terms of specifics of, of deadlines, we don't have that just yet. But I, I would expect that we're going to see a lot of these things sooner rather than later um, if it's consistent with the tone that he was taking yesterday. Earlier this month, Mercedes, hearing about some Indo-Pacific tensions, uh, which includes uh, Canada, a Chinese warship coming within 150 yards of colliding with an American destroyer during a joint Canada-U.S. mission sailing through the Taiwan Strait. What do we know further about this incident? So we know quite a bit because um, Mackenzie Gray, who is one of the reporters who works for me in Ottawa, was on board the HMCS Montreal when this happened. Uh, and the HMCS Montreal is a Canadian frigate, which was sailing the state of uh, the Strait of Taiwan along with that American destroyer. Uh, the American destroyer was first. The Canadian ship was right behind. Um, and what Mackenzie told me and what we saw captured on the video, um, that he and his cameraman Gray managed to uh, uh, get this incredible video of, and a world-exclusive 
impressive, um, was a Chinese ship moving at, at a significant speed. Uh, former Admiral Mark Norman, who's, who's retired now, used to be head of the Navy, told me that it looked like it was moving at about 40 kilometers an hour, uh, aggressively cuts off the American ship. And uh, Mackenzie says he was essentially told by the captain of the Canadian ship that the Chinese came over the radio and were kind of saying, get out of the way. China considers that to be their waters, but it is legally international waters, which is exactly why allied ships sail through there to send a message. You don't own Taiwan. We will sail through these waters. These are international waters. But there have been incidences of sort of some harassment before and tense exchanges. Um, But this one was quite extraordinary because warships are worth billions of dollars and they're very fast and they're very heavy and they're on moving seas Uh, and this cutoff happened at about 150 yards that's about the length of a football field and a half it's also about the size of one of these ships so it's kind of like getting cut off a car length ahead of you in traffic when you're moving at a high rate of speed Um, and then imagine the highway is also moving underneath you Uh, the americans were able to slow down and avoid a collision but had they not Uh, they would have T-boned this Chinese ship, and it would have been catastrophic because two warships colliding at that rate of speed on the open ocean uh, is pretty devastating. So it was was quite an aggressive move by China, uh, clearly designed to send a clear message uh, to the Americans, and it all ended up being caught on video. If you go on our website or on YouTube or on our app, uh, we've posted the video. You can hear from Mackenzie. He just got off the ship yesterday uh so this is very fresh and uh he tells you all about what happened and has a really great interview as well with the canadian captain uh of the montreal who was watching all of this go down in shock on the bridge uh, as it happened was this a case of, of just luck was uh, that mackenzie gray was embedded at that time uh with this uh, crew um, we were contacted. I'd been trying to get an embed on a Navy ship for quite some time. We were contacted by the Navy about this. When I heard where they were going, um, I figured that it was likely something would happen, and I suspect they figured it was likely something would happen too. Uh, we never had that discussion, but we do know that this is historically an area where China does buzz and interfere with Allied aircraft and ships, so there was a relatively good chance something might happen. You never know for sure, um, but it, it's certainly useful to have the media there because in the past China and they tried to do it this time too say that the Americans or the Canadians are mischaracterizing it but when you have an independent film crew from another country shooting the whole thing and showing it you know we're news we're not military propaganda there to edit it and make the military look good Um, you now have an objective piece of evidence of what actually happened uh, when this all went down versus just the Canadian and American and Chinese navies, you know, say so, that conflicts. You have, you know, people who witnessed this who are professional journalists saying, no, the American ship was going through uh, and the Chinese basically accelerated and almost charged right in front of it deliberately uh, to force them to slow down or there would have been a collision. Incredible stuff. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, Mercedes. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. The Bank of Canada has announced just minutes ago they raised the key rate by 25 basis points. And how will this impact you? How will it impact Canadians? And what does this say about the state of the Canadian economy? Joining us to discuss is Angelo Molino, Professor of Economics at the University of Toronto. Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. Uh, your reaction to kick things off, uh, Professor Molino, to uh, the uh, the uh, BOC announcement. Were you surprised by this move? 
Well, I, I actually uh, recommended uh, at the latest uh, CD Howe Monetary Policy Committee meeting that the bank raise this time. But yeah, I was surprised. Uh, it was a close call. Uh, I, I don't think anybody knew what was going to happen this time. It was very much a, a live decision, a, a coin toss, if you will. So do you, do you think that this is a case that we did not have enough slowing of the inflation rate? So what, what would the reasoning be behind this and what sort of an effect do you believe it'll have? Well, there, there, there are lots of uh, reasons to think that uh, the bank had to be a bit more uh, restrictive in its policy. Um, you know, when we look at headline inflation, that's comparing what's happening now to what happened last year. Last year, inflation was running very high, and so those numbers have been coming down and probably will continue to come down for a few more months. But if you look at uh, the bank's measures of core inflation, which is sort of the underlying trend, that's been pretty stagnant now for about uh, nine months and actually went up in April. Uh, signaling that uh, there were, you know, there had to be more tightening, uh, there had to be more tightening in the system, and also I think uh, a lot of us were expecting a, a recession yeah. to kick in in the middle of this year, and so we had disinflationary forces at work, and then a recession would kick in and uh, do the rest of the do the rest of the job. That uh, recessionary outlook keeps being pushed back, and uh, looks even milder than we had expected uh, at the early part of the year, which you know, uh, it's not a an overwhelming call, but it pushed me over to the edge of saying that the bank had to do a bit more. Yeah. When you mentioned the R word, the recession word, you say it looks like it could be a little more mild. Could there be a chance that we, we skip a recession? It, it, it's hard to believe. Uh, there's always a chance, but it's hard to believe given the amount of monetary tightening that we've seen both in Canada and the United States that uh, we, wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't see a, you know, a, a few quarters of negative growth. It could happen. The Bank of Canada... It, implicitly was forecasting as low but positive growth uh, throughout the, the uh, 2023 if their forecast is correct uh, and it's probably gotten higher uh, given what we've seen uh, since April uh, then we will see uh, negative growth this year but we're certainly going to see a slowdown that part of it, I think is quite clear uh, whether it will be enough to uh, you know reduce the inflationary pressures in the economy that that without a further Bank of Canada action that wasn't clear. You know, you mentioned the, the U.S., and obviously we look over the fence at our neighbors quite often, and we know that they're going through a very similar situation. Uh, across the globe, is this sweeping the entire planet when it comes to this inflation issue and, and seeing higher interest rates, or, or do some countries have it right? Well, I think we're seeing uh, Canada's not alone in, uh, in thinking that it has to tighten policy. I think the uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia uh, decided to increase its policy rate to, uh, just a few days ago as well. We are seeing signs of uh, of, of slowing growth around the world. So uh, the IMF and the OECD are expecting world growth to be about uh, 3% this year, which is ex extremely low. For, I mean, uh, if we were uh, benchmarking this to his historic history, we'd say this is a, a growth recession that we're in in 2023. So China's come out of its COVID lockdown with very lukewarm growth. Germany, which is uh, you know the powerhouse of Europe, has had uh, two uh, negative quarters of GDP growth. So there are signs that uh, the world economy is slowing down. There are signs that inflation is uh, is, is coming down as well, uh, but uh, it's not coming down to the levels that uh, the Bank of Canada would like. Uh, coming down to 4%, sure, maybe coming down to you know something even below that, but coming down to 2%, we're not seeing a lot of sign that that's happening in Canada, in the US, uh, and I can't think of any countries that have got it right, quite frankly, although I'm sure some of them have. <laughs> yeah, we have nevertheless, if, if so, can we rip off that model? Uh, let's let's talk about, I know that you are uh, speaking with Angelo Molino, Professor of Economics, University of Toronto. 
not a financial advisor. You're an economist, a professor. This is the world you live in. Uh, but to the average Canadian, the average Calgarian, for that matter, uh, that will be hit hard, are there things that we can do as individuals to lessen the impact of, of seeing this higher rate? Well, uh, you know, the, the what the Bank of Canada wants uh, people to do is to uh, save more and spend less. So uh, there's no doubt that this is going to make it more difficult for people who are in debt. Uh, this is part of the... Uh, it's not a bug. That's a feature. That's what you do with monetary policy mm -hmm. to slow down spending. Uh, you try and get people to uh, postpone consumption and uh, save a little bit more. Uh, right now, the economy is uh, much stronger than uh, than we had expected, and uh, uh, there's been surprises. And I mean, I think the biggest surprise was the uh, the Statistics Canada estimate of what happened to GDP growth in April. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we were sort of surprised that uh, January did so well, and then we said, well, it was just good weather. We had really nice mild January, but we were expecting February and March to uh, to have negative growth. Turned out uh, that uh, February and March uh, eked out some positive growth and in, uh, in April uh, surprisingly looked strong. So uh, the, the jobs in the economy are still uh, plentiful, um, so people can get work. I'm glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, not a good time to go into debt. That's the only, thing, the only advice I'd have to Calgarians. And if you have that opportunity and that choice to begin with, I guess. I got a texter in. Uh, sending a note, and I'm wondering if you can draw a parallel to, to this statement. The texter says, no name attributed, by the way. Um, how, uh, how much of this raising rate is related to uh, government-increased spending? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, it, it, it is the case that, uh, that uh, higher government spending uh, adds to uh, inflationary pressures, and, I'm, and I suspect that the, uh, the wage settlement with the public uh, service workers uh, set a precedent that's going to cause problems with uh, lots of employers who are uh, going to be dealing with a benchmark that's a little bit too high for the Bank of Canada's inflation target. But it's 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 not something that uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, and then again, a 25 basis point increase uh, compared to what we've seen so far, 400 basis point increases since January uh, or March 2022 mm -hmm. is not a big deal either. So. It, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're they're on a comparable level, but neither one of them is a big deal. I would say. Okay. Well, we got that four point seven five percent where we're at. What do you forecast? And this is a million dollar question. Uh, would happen next? Do you think we're going to be holding it steady, moving ahead, or do you think there's a chance we could see, you know, some points taken off that? Oh, it's it's rare that the Bank of Canada raises just once and sits on it. So I think uh, the fact that they've uh, raised once, uh, the uh, bias will be that they will raise again in July, unless uh, we get some surprisingly bad news between now and then, which you know, undoubtedly could happen. We have two labor force survey uh, reports to come out. We have uh, another GDP estimate to come out. Uh, we have a, uh, the, the May CPI uh, will be coming out at the end of this month. And then there's all kinds of news uh, in the United States where, uh, you know, they're also sort of on this brink of a, refer of a recessionary call. And if the U.S. goes on, uh, there'll be a lot of news coming between now and then, but uh, uh, if, it, if things go as expected, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they raise again in July. Wow, interesting. I guess we'll wait and see. Thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Angelo Molino, professor of economics from the University of Toronto. Undoubtedly the biggest story in sports right now, the announcement that the PGA Tour will merge with Saudi Arabia-backed Live Golf. Joining us to discuss the announcement and for reaction is Kevin Smith, Director of Communications for Alberta Golf. Good morning to you, Kevin. 
Andrew, awesome to hear your voice. And, uh, yeah, yesterday was an insane day, so uh, I'll try and unpack it all. Yeah. Fire off any questions you have. It's uh, uh, one of the most remarkable days in the history of uh, the PGA Tour. So many questions. And you, you and I go back about, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen you, but about 20-plus years. And, and I know that golf has always been in your blood. Huge golf fan. You find yourself working full-time in golf now. So for the rest of us, for, for average fans, kind of shocked. How about you? Did this come out of left field for you in your world? Oh, I mean, to put this in terms of people who maybe don't follow golf as closely as I do, if if a year ago the Calgary Flames had traded Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk to the Oilers for Connor McDavid, it's on that level of shock. Um, I could have seen something like this happening five, ten years from now. Because to give the backstory, you know, in the last year and a half, the game of golf has been completely fractured. And that was shocking at the time that the Saudi Arabians backed this live golf, which is kind of a new fun party atmosphere golf. And they were able to, you know, spend hundreds of millions of dollars and lure players away from the PGA Tour. Huge names. Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith. I mean, you know, Sergio Garcia, the list goes on and on. And it. It got very good versus evil. Um, you never saw these players. You didn't know where to find live golf. They would reappear at the majors four times a year, and everyone was like, oh, thank goodness, they're all back together again. But, um, you know, all the characters kind of went to live, all the, all the bad guys, you know, and, and you had all the good guys staying on the PGA Tour, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, and they were basically saying, nope, we're going to stay. You know, we're not taking the money. We're staying on, on a high ground. If you take the money, it's... It's supporting a, you know, a country and a regime that has bad human rights, and it got so nasty. I mean, they were suing the PGA Tour. So the news yesterday that they're merging, it just it all goes away, but it leaves uh, you know, a lot of harsh words and a lot of fighting still, and, and you know, we'll see how it shakes up. But to answer your question, uh, it was insane that, that it, it happened that quickly yesterday. Speaking with Kevin Smith, Director of Communications for Alberta Golf. And uh, Kevin, we're 24 hours, about 24 hours into this announcement. Do we have any ideal, uh, any details rather, or any idea what a merger like this will look like? Not really. I think in the short term, the PGA Tour will finish their 2023 season. And Live Golf, you know, the, the tour that that's funded by uh, the Saudis and, and Greg Norman, the CEO of, um, they'll finish their season. And, and Live Golf, you know, for p- people who have gone to a Live Golf event or, or found it on YouTube, um, you know, it's, it's shotgun starts, there's music playing, it's a party atmosphere, there's, there's a team concept. If you see it on the screen, it looks like NASCAR with all the teams going up and down, and it's, it's as far away from PGA Golf as you can get. But they'll finish that season. And the third tour involved in this is the European Tour, the DP World Tour. Um, you know, that, that's involved with the Ryder Cup, and, and you know, it's, it's one of the top tours in the world. So they'll finish their season, and then in 2024, we have to see what happens. I mean, look, Rory McIlroy, um, who's on the PGA Tour and, you know, one of the top five players in the world, had a press conference this morning um, and basically says, I still hate Live Golf, and I have a feeling next year Live Golf will go away, that it won't be a thing. And, you know, this new merger is what – the PIF, the, the Saudis wanted all along. They wanted to own the PGA Tour. And, and um, you know, Rory hopes that that live concept won't be a thing as of next year, but we really don't know. Yeah. And um, it is too bad that the RBC Canadian Open is going on in Oakdale in Toronto this week. 
And, of course, this takes all the attention away from what should be a great national championship and all the focus is on, you know, the players that are there and closed-door meetings with the commissioner, Jay Monahan, and there's screaming back and forth, and the players on the PGA Tour want Jay Monahan impeached, and players are swearing at each other, and it's just, it's very contentious, and, you know, I have a firm view who the winners and losers are, but we're going to have to see long-term how it all how it all shakes out. You mentioned, you know, you used the term fractured, and you been mentioning a name like Rory McIlwain. Uh, to, to that extent, could some of these, you know, these players who drew a line in the sand on one side or the other over the past, you know, c- couple of years, could it be fractured enough that we, we see some dissension between, you know, players or, or former teammates? I think I think here here's the problem. The players like Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau, who took hundreds of millions of dollars to go and play live golf, um, and that's a whole other topic. The politics of it, you're taking money, the source of the money, the, the Saudi government, um, you know, but obviously Brooks and Bryson and Sergio and, you know, they, they felt fine taking the money and, and that's their decision. Um, some other players on the PGA Tour were told by the commissioner that if you take this money, you're never coming back to the PGA Tour. You're gone forever. You'll be erased from history. Um, so... Yeah, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, um, Justin Thomas, Jordan Speed, some of the biggest names in the game, Scotty Shuffler, you know, said no. You know, Hideki Matsuyama from Japan was offered a half billion dollars to go over there. Tiger was offered $800 million. Uh, they said no. You know, we're not. We're going to stay on the PGA Tour. We're going to protect history. We're going to do the right thing, and those guys aren't coming back. Well, yesterday the deal was struck, and it looks like there's a pathway for them to come back. So they kind of get their cake. They get filthy rich. They get to come back and they get to compete against the players who took the high ground, didn't take the money, and that's where the hard feelings will be in the short yeah. term for sure. And I guess there'll be much more to talk about in the coming days, weeks, and months. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. We appreciate it. You bet, Andrew. Kevin Smith, Director, Communications of Golf, Alberta Golf.